Oh, we were devolving Man. so freaking fast. <laughs> yeah, that may be the worst train wreck ending ever. <laughs> well, I've been writing these conference talks, and I, oh, I was up until like 1 o'clock last night. And then I only got like four or five hours of sleep, so. That's hilarious. I didn't even know what I was saying half the time. This podcast is sponsored by New Relic. To track and optimize your application's performance, go to rubyrogues.com slash new relic. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Ruby Rogues podcast. This is episode 45, and this week on our panel, we have Avdi Grimm. Hello, and uh, lately I've been exploring ancient Unix tools, and so uh, moving forward, you can expect to see an awk on ox carts from me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we also have James Edward Gray. Actually, James uh, has been replaced this episode due to a bug in the Ruby Road site. He was overwritten and will be played by some random internet person this time. <laughs> I, don't know what that, I don't know what that means, but I'm afraid. We also have David Brady. Hi, I'm David Brady. I'm the Chief Metaphor Officer at Slide Rule Labs. And according to my most recent Twitter poll, I am the world's most favorite slow motion train wreck. That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> that's awesome we also have josh susser yeah okay i'm just trying to keep from laughing here <laughs> hey uh, good morning from san francisco i you know i don't really I, I i miss a little bit of the introducing yourself on here so i'll just say a couple things i uh run the gogoruko conference here gogo and ruby conference here in san francisco with uh leah and jim um, I am doing some startup stuff that is too early to talk about uh, in much detail. And I spent a long time at Pivotal Labs and old small tarker. So that, that, that's uh, reintroducing me for now. So, All right. <laughs> uh, I'm Charles Maxwood from teachmetocode.com, and uh, I've got a few things in the works, and when I'm ready to uh, launch them, I will tell you about them. And uh, we also have a guest rogue, and that is Andre Arco. Hey there. You want to introduce um, yourself for people who don't know you? Sure, absolutely. Um, I'm Andre Arco, uh, also known on Twitter and GitHub as Indirect. I uh, maintain Bundler. I'm also the author of the somewhat popular jQuery Rails gem. And during the day, I mostly work for uh, Plex, the Media Center app, doing web backend stuff for them. And uh, pretty much all of my spare time goes to maintaining Bundler, at least right now. So Sweet. And, and, and can we talk about Bundler today? What? You know, I, I thought you'd never ask, John. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't believe that. <laughs> Why, do we have a Bundler expert here? Yeah. Uh, What's yeah, so, Bundler? So, I want a definition. <laughs> okay. Um, well, there are these wonderful things called Ruby Gems. And, uh, wait, 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 wait. I, I can test your initial premise. <laughs> <laughs> It's going to be one of those shows, isn't it, guys? <laughs> okay, I'm sorry, Andre. Please proceed. Please proceed. There's these wonderful it, things called ruby gems. Why not? We'll take it as posited. Or at least sure. these things called ruby gems. I can, I can roll with it. So uh, ruby gems let you package your ruby libraries up into relatively compact packages that contain easily 
relatively easily accessed metadata like any other libraries that they depend on, etc. Bundler looks at RubyGems and says, this is fantastic, this is wonderful, but we don't have an application level way to manage all of those gems. Like RubyGems is great, but you run around, you know, running gem install foo, and when you have an application that depends on the API for that gem, you know, being exactly version 1.2.3, then basically what what happens is you end up with a, a readme in your application that you hold your fingers crossed and hope that everyone remembered to update which versions and which gems the app needed. And then you run gem install a lot of times, and then you run the app until it crashes to find out which gems weren't in the readme or which gems change their API and the version number in the readme needs to be changed. You're talking about the way I develop in an almost negative tone, and I don't like that. <laughs> I'm Well, I... I I'm here to give you hope for a brighter future. Okay, uh, <laughs> tell me, tell me, tell me about the dream. I'm a, I'm so, a big fan of why the hell doesn't it work? Develop driven development. Yeah. 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 Precisely. So uh, so into these these dark days of uh, insufficient dependency documentation, to put it kindly, Bundler was conceived. Uh, it's it's. Its absolute need was driven by uh, the development of Merb way back in the day, um, because Merb decided to go with a many many gems approach to uh, library development. They very quickly realized that as at an application level, just running gem install was not going to cut it. Um, as probably anyone who's used Ruby with Ruby gems for a while has discovered, you will eventually reach one of the dreaded activation errors where you know you have somehow managed to load one version of one gem, but your app actually needs this other version of that same gem, and now you're stuck. I, I know, speaking from personal experience on projects that I worked on way back in the bad old days. Uh, so yeah, the way the way that comes about, right, is like if you have you know several libraries you depend on, and then you load one of those libraries, and it loads uh, something that that both libraries depend on, and it says I need version, you know, and maybe yep. it just says greater than you know exactly. one. And so it loads the highest thing that it can. We'll say two. Then you try to load the other one, and it says, "I need version, uh, you know, greater than one, but less than two. And at that point, you're basically in trouble because you've already loaded two, and you failed to meet yep. the requirement. Yeah. And fixing that requires either, you know, elaborate load these versions of the, you know, you would have to basically become a human dependency graph resolver. And put the correct gem requirement earlier in whatever it was that was loading gems. Or, or you could use gem installer. Or you could That's use gem installer, yeah, which I admit I never actually used. I, I okay, I'll bite. What is gem installer? Okay, so uh, a couple of years ago, Chad Woolley, who I worked with at Pivotal, wrote this tool called gem installer that you could put together a YAML file that described all of the gem dependency for your application and it would install them all. But it, it didn't have, it didn't use the internals of Ruby gems. It was using it as a client of Ruby gems. And so it had a lot of the same uh, dependency resolution issues. The main advantage was, was that you had one file where you could lock down all of the particular uh, versions of all of the gems. Mm -hmm. So it, you could at least get, uh, I guess, an equivalent of the gem file dot lock. You could you could lock down all the particular versions that you wanted, and you and you could be pretty assured that your application would at least be deployable. 
using that set. The thing that right. it did do was it didn't let you uh, deal with when you wanted to change one dependency and that had ripple effects. So you, you so you you then had to revert to human dependency resolution mm -hmm. machine. Mm -hmm. So, so basically ever... it has had all the advantages and all the drawbacks of taking something implicit and making it explicit. I never knew this existed. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, I, I'm with James on this, and, and I feel bad because I've met Chad, and I think he's awesome, and, and now I feel bad that he wrote something cool that I don't know about. I don't, I'll, <laughs> is it still? Let me ask you this. Is it still worth checking out, or has, like, no, Bundler no, and RBM? Chad totally got on the Bundler train. Okay. So he, he, was, he was a big supporter of Bundler because doing Gem Installer, he learned all of the problems with, <laughs> with that. This hurts. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. um. I, it's actually kind of funny. I'm just looking at the uh, Gem Installer webpage, and it actually says right at the top, if you think Bundler is too complex, then you probably don't understand the problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, can we talk about that? Isn't uh, the problem of resolving those dependencies, isn't that actually like an NP-hard problem? <laughs> it is, in fact. It is NP-complete. And um, it's, I mean, you know, just like any other dependency graph problem. Um, so we we do the best we can, but every once in a while, someone manages to craft a gem file that has such a wide, uh, you know, in your gem file, you can list a, a range of versions that you'll accept as a valid resolution. And some people just don't put version numbers in at all. They just list all their gems. And that, of course, is an implicit greater than or equal to zero version number. And if you put enough gems in your gem file with a greater than or equal to zero, and there are enough versions of each of those gems, for example, I hear uh, there are a lot of versions of, like, the Rails gem. Weird. But if you... If you don't require any specific version at all, and there are many, many, many versions of each of those gems that you've listed in your gem file, of course, this means that sometimes we get bug reports that Bundler has been attempting to resolve for the last hour, and will it ever finish, and why don't you fix this terrible, terrible bug? Hmm. Um, you know, Andre, I actually would have accepted if you had if you had just with a completely straight face said, eh, we just proved that, you know, P equals NP and then we just solve it in linear time. That's how Bundler works. Yes, that and, that is, that and that chicken is, entrails. That is Bundler in a nutshell. Yeah. Um, but that only works during the correct phase of the moon. So I'm mm -hmm. not going to make any promises. OK, that's awesome. Uh, um, so I, I have a so question any, for you, Andre. Yeah. Um, go and, it, and it goes back to the it goes back to this this NP hard problem. Um how does Bundler do it? <laughs> you got uh, an hour. Go for it. <laughs> with, <laughs> is it is it time for another dramatic code reading? Oh dear. Uh, <laughs> it's it's probably more helpful at this point to uh, say with great tenacity and stubbornness. Um, <laughs> the uh, high level overview is that it tries as hard as it can to narrow down the problem space in advance, which I think is how we, you know, most people's gem files do in fact resolve. And uh, it's actually the time that it takes to download and unpack all of those Ruby gems that occupies the vast majority mm -hmm. of Bundler's time rather than actually running the resolver. Um, it's a very unusual gem file that actually like manages to make it into that crazy problem space. Um, and as as far as I know, all of those people have been able to solve their problem by specifying a more accurate, like a a, mm -hmm. a more narrow version number in their gem file, and then running yeah. bundle install again. So can I uh, stop you right there, just briefly? Would that be a good best practice when working with Bundler? Would it be a good idea to you know kind of lock those versions down when you're specifying your gems? Well, 
so uh, very briefly, um, the the officially like best practice considered version of putting gems and version numbers into your gem file is to use the uh, tilde greater than operator, also sometimes known as the uh, spermy operator. For the, um, for the twiddle walker is what I, I for didn't the twiddle know walker. that. I'm just quoting <laughs> oh, the oh. I'm just quoting the Ruby Gems documentation here that calls oh. it the Spermy operator and describes its function. Oh, 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 Andre, every person who has a conversation with David in the future is going to curse your name. Yes, <laughs> yes they are. <laughs> I will see to it personally. <laughs> how, how many conversations is David going to work that into today? All of them. <laughs> are you kidding? He's speaking at a conference next week. We're going to hear about it then. Yikes. There will be pictures of sperm on all of his slides. Pictures, cartoons, audio files. Oh, yeah. So, uh, I don't know. I think uh, Twiddlewaka has more euphemism potential. I don't know. I can totally see Dave putting sperm on his slides and hearing the collective (laughs) intake of air at Mountain West Ruby Conference. And half of it's going to be like, (gasps) that's awful. And the other half is going to (gasps) be, that is so funny. I, I was in London and going through a, a gift shop, and they had uh, Red Dwarf T-shirts. And one of Lister's or Rimmer's, I can't remember which one, but one of their their catchphrases was "Let's get out there and twat it." And and you know, twat is in a seven hundred point font across the shirt. And I'm like, I have to have this shirt. Unfortunately, I was shopping with a friend who you know jumped on the grenade and said, "No, you cannot have this shirt. You cannot walk. You cannot walk around wearing a shirt that says twat on it." Have we lost our family-friendly rating yet? <laughs> I, I'm just wondering if we lost all our listeners. Mm. <laughs> Wait, what were we talking about? Um, okay, right, back so, to Andre. Uh, yeah, anyway. Uh, just, and, and, just to, just to so, update everyone. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Josh. I, I, I was just to say, this is a great demonstration about the dependency management problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you've got a David Brady gem in there somewhere that's trying to pull in everything. And be weird. Yeah, yeah. Ruby Ruby Rogue's uh, dependency resolver has still been running since the first episode. So far, it has not found a good mix for us. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry about that, Andre. You were saying. Anyway, uh, so just just to update everyone, I, I ran over to GitHub quickly, and apparently, the correct modern term for the uh, tilde greater than operator is either uh, approximate or pessimistic version. Requirement. I like that. Um, as of as of uh, a few weeks ago, Ruby Gems actually uses approximate or pessimistic instead of spermy in all of its code. I I reject that. <laughs> <laughs> I just discovered this wonderful thing. You can't take it away from me now. Considering it's been spermy for years, I think it's... that you can probably keep it for a while longer. Dear dear Ruby Gems, please let me have this. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, anyway, I. I, you guys are probably all familiar with the, uh, the pessimistic, as it is now known, operator. But uh, the short version is it allows the last uh, stated column in the version number to increment up to whatever, but it keeps the, the next highest version number from incrementing. So if you say 1.1.1, it means I need at least 1.1.1, but less than 1.2. So, if say, in, so if you go back to the versioning episode where basically Josh Susser yelled at all of us for an hour explaining the correct way to do versioning, that uh-huh. means that uh, <laughs> it accepts basically patches or bug fixes or you know tiny releases 
um, but it doesn't accept even minor releases, which would be the that, middle number. That's well, interesting wait, wait. because I didn't actually understand that. I, I thought if you if you said Spermy 1.1, I'm calling it Spermy. I love that. Sorry. <laughs> if, if you say Spermy 1.1, what you're saying is it's okay to go all the way up to 1.9. Is correct. that correct? That's that is correct. Oh, wow. I thought, I thought what that meant was 1.1 point anything. Nope. And you had just anything, everything you stated had everything. To be, so, Correct. Okay. So it's actually pretty flexible because if, for example, you know that you need 1.1.6, but you're willing to accept patches above that, then you can say Spermy 1.1.6. And that means that it will never install anything lower than that, but it will accept everything you know, that is above that, but lower than 1.2. And so, if you're, if you're doing versioning correctly, then that should not break your program because exactly those patches are, are supposed to be safe. So I'm so, a terrible person and it makes me wonder what happens if you do spermy one. It's the same as greater than or equal to zero. zero. Also the same as not putting anything. Mm -hmm. okay. Wow. <laughs> so I have some I have some bundler files that say uh, Spermy Rails Spermy 3.0, and I just figured out now why none of my projects work. <laughs> um, so that that does mean though that you're safe from Rails Master, which is currently at 4.0. So right, right. Now, it, now it's if you say 3.0.2, it will not give you 301, correct? It will. It will not give you 3.1 or 3. Dot or, o three dot o one. or 301, because I said, I said uh, so yes. 302. Yes, it's correct. A, David, okay. it's equivalent to, so saying, uh, you know, pessimistic 301 mm -hmm. is the same thing as saying greater than or equal to 301 and less than 3.1. 3 3 yeah. Got it. Got it. Yep. And, um, and, I, and I'll do that. I'll, I, there's some uh, gems that I'll specify major minor. I won't do patch because I want to be able to be, I'm trusting that they're, they're doing semantic versioning and that minor releases are going to be backward compatible and not breaking. Exactly. Now, this is the same so. this is the same trust that leads you later to have outrage, right? <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. Okay, so, fair point. <laughs> so Andre, here's a here's a slow pitch over the plate for you. Uh, uh -huh. in the past we've felt Bundler is a little slow. Well, I I have extremely good news for you then because we have. Can been... I interject real quick? Yes, absolutely. In the past, we've <laughs> felt. This is you'll see. It, let on <laughs> Okay. Uh, so uh, I I actually just gave a talk at Ruby on Ales entitled "Bundler and in, Bundle Install: Why You So Slow." Um, and uh, <laughs> I'm I'm very happy to report that uh, Bundler 1.1, which as I said with final was just committed at 2:45 a.m. last night is much much faster um the, yeah so funny story about why bundler was so slow uh as i mentioned it's almost never the resolver everyone's like well it's an np complete complete problem it'll be really slow right well it turns out that for the vast majority of gem files and honestly if you have a gem file dot lock the, there is no problem left right the graph has already been resolved so the vast majority of the time, all of the slowness of Bundler came from the fact that it had to uh, download and sort through a vast amount of data from RubyGems. Um, basically how that worked is RubyGems offered an index, uh, and when I say RubyGems, I mean RubyGems.org, the master RubyGems server that provides the source of you know, all public gems. 
to Rubyists. Uh, and there's an index on that server that lets you know the name and version number of every single gem that has ever been released in the history of gems. And of course, Bundler has to go and download that entire thing. Um, at least Bundler 1.0 had to go and download that entire thing because your gem file could have quite literally any gem in it. Needless to say, that index keeps getting bigger every day and it's never going to get smaller for sure. Um, at this point, even gzipped as you know a marshaled set of arrays, it's almost a megabyte. And loading that, you know, downloading that over the internet, ungzipping it, and then loading the entire thing into RAM so that we can go through it is not the fastest thing ever. Um, so, so you sped it up by killing my neighbor's Netflix subscription. We we tried <laughs> to be awesome. a little more subtle than that. Uh, what what we actually wound up doing. Uh, Nick Coranto, who I believe has been here before, uh, right. he came up with a, an API that we have, or I should say that he added to the rubygems.org server that uh, is actually pretty awesome. Um, it's, it's backed by Redis, although I guess that's an implementation detail. But the short version is you can hit that API with a comma delimited list of gems, and it will give you back only the information about those gems and those gems child dependencies. Since that's all the information that Bundler actually wanted in the first place, this is significantly faster than downloading everything about every gem ever. That's awesome. I Very think cool. it, uh, you, you mentioned Nick uh, and his efforts there. I think Evan Phoenix may have helped a little bit uh, with he some did. of that he, stuff too. He helped, he helped with some of the debugging and getting it all talking to Bundler correctly. Um, Nick masterminded and implemented the initial version. So I am extremely happy to report that uh, on, it, you know, our, our, our Hello World gem file just has gem Sinatra in it. Um, and running, running bundle install on that Hello World gem file takes 18 seconds in Bundler 1.0 and takes 3.2 seconds in Bundler 1.1. Rock on. Sweet. So, that's a pretty big improvement. Um, and obviously, you know, if you have an extremely large gem file, that benefit is reduced but not eliminated. So it is definitely faster. Um, have you ever considered doing like local caching? Like, because I'll go in and I'll say bundle, you know, my gem file, and I'll say Rails, you know, 3.2, and it'll go get Rails 3.2 and download everything over the internet and then I'll so, go to another project and do the same thing and it downloads it all from the internet and I'm like gosh guys this is on my SSD drive already yeah actually Bundler does use if you have like for example if you have it in your gem set already and then you bundle doesn't it just use it directly from there it does so there's there's a somewhat subtle thing about this that I think most Bundler users don't realize um, Bundler actually default to not talking to the internet with a very important caveat. If your gem file is specific about its requirements, Bundler will try to just satisfy those requirements directly off of disk. The, the catch, of course, is that your gem file has to actually say, I want Rails 3.2, not I want Rails greater than 3.2.0. Right. If you because want 3.21 might be out there. Exactly. And when you run bundle install, it's important that that, you know, that bundler satisfy your gem file correctly, because if people want 3.2.1, knowing that it's out there and bundler doesn't get it, that would be very like uh, user expectation subverting behavior. So we, we don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. um, that said, if you know that 
what you have locally on your machine is what you're perfectly fine, you know, fulfilling your bundle out of, there is a switch, bundle install dash dash local, and it just says to bundler, ah, don't 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 bother that that Ruby gem server. Just just try and make it all work on my machine. Hmm. Um, I may be inflicting this damage on myself though, because I always when I start a new project, I create a new gem set. And my global gem set has nothing in it except for bundler. And so to be perfectly honest, mm-hmm. I used to use gem sets, and then I started using Bundler. That's uh, right. Yay. I was so hoping somebody was going there. So uh, basically, gem sets existed to obviate the pain of working with multiple applications without Bundler available. Mm-hmm. Uh, because obviously, you know, if you have two applications, they might require mutually exclusive versions of some gems. Yeah. So... Mm-hmm. Gemsets was basically a hack to avoid those activation errors that James described earlier mm-hmm. where, uh, you know, this application means that you have some high version number available and it gets activated in the wrong order and then your app yep. blows up. So happily with Bundler, that doesn't actually happen anymore. Um, because Bundler resolves the graph in advance, it's not a runtime dependency resolver, right? It's a uh, pre-runtime dependency. Yeah, almost a compile time, yeah. Right, like it's sort of compiled. But mm-hmm. uh, so because the graph is already resolved before your application starts to load any gems, as long as Bundler gets loaded, it then locks down all of the other gems that can be loaded to the pre-approved correct versions. As a result, that means that your system gems can in fact contain the gems that you know all five of your apps with mutually conflicting versions mm-hmm. have they can all be in that same pile meaning that you don't have to install multiple copies of the ones that are in fact shared but there's no downside to leaving them all in system gems together nice mm-hmm. that's right uh, although the combination of gem sets with gem installer was actually pretty effective yeah um the, it the, uh the, as long as you're cool being the human dependency resolver, Gem Installer was actually pretty great. I actually still use Gem Sets and uh, Bundler um, side by side, mostly because it really just makes me makes me crazy having to type Bundle Exec all the time. But also because yeah, I've got it. a, I've also got a couple of uh, apps and I want to say a, like a rake task in and, it, and it's a legacy thing that I inherited from somebody and I haven't just gone in with a, the the tree surgery pruning shears to amputate. But uh, it it spawn you you launch it up and it spawns like like system calls to Ruby and it it's it calls user bin end for Ruby it doesn't call user bin end bundle exec Ruby and so the the sub processes that it spawns end up being outside of Bundler's scope and so putting it in gem sets was the only way that I could resolve that. I don't uh, know how RBM uh, handles this, but. I can tell you if you're using our uh, RVM, you can drop the bundle exec. RVM handles that correctly. So, mm. Mm. yes, um, we actually even have our RVM um, is actually pretty pretty awesome that it handles all of that. Uh, mm. We even have some proposals on the table for upcoming versions of Bundler that will hopefully provide something similar for people who don't use RVM and just want mm. to add, uh, you know, all my bundled gems to their path variable yeah. you know environment variable um yeah so we're we're working on that it'll probably hit in in bundler 1.2 or 1.3 but uh the other hopefully good news is that uh we're not gonna stay on an 18 month release cycle um bundler 1.2 will come out much more quickly so awesome sweet yeah mm-hmm. 
So um, I have a question about um, in including Bundler uh, into your own into your own applications. I mean, I think I think a lot of people are using it just. Um, you know, with Rails, it's it's just it's sort of built in. You don't really think about how Bundler gets integrated into the app. But um, when I'm explicitly calling like Bundler .setup uh, in my app, it's never been clear to me: is Bundler merely setting up the load path, uh, or is it also loading those gems? Ah, that's um, uh, it is merely setting. Well, it's not quite merely setting up the load path, but it is not requiring setup. Does the load path setup? which is important. It also goes in and undoes some of RubyGem's tweaks. Um, for example, it restores require to its original load path only version rather than the gem version of require. Actually requiring the gems is handled by another top-level function, bundler.require. Rails actually calls bundler.require, I believe, at the top of application RB by default, although I'd, I'd have to go in and look to check. But Basically, uh, Rails developers, uh, sort of in contrast to Ruby developers, became used to always having everything required all the time. And so Rails says, well, let's not bother people by making them actively require each individual gem that they use in their app. Let's just have Bundler require all of them since we have the list already available in the gem file. Gotcha. Yeah, because I, um, I I often write uh, like spec helpers that are as lightweight as possible and I you know I don't want them to spend a lot of time loading up any libraries that the the tests aren't actually going to be using and so I, I want them to have the you know the apps gem set well you know the the bundler bundle available the exact libraries available but I don't want it to spend some time loading them all at the at the beginning of running the tests Absolutely. On on a note very related to that, actually, uh, 1.1 does something else that is very cool. Um, and this is another way that Bundler 1.1 is a lot faster than 1.0. Um, basically, in Bundler 1.0, we added a very important feature, at least it seemed that way to us at the time, that lets you edit your gem file and then immediately start your application you don't have to run bundle install every time you add a gem, change a version, do any of those things. Bundler is actually smart enough to, when bundler.setup gets called, check your gem file and say, oh, you just changed a version number, but that other version is here too, so I'll just use it instead. Um, this was fantastic for reducing the number of bug reports that we got. Um, there was an older version of Bundler that actively required that you run bundle install every single time that you touched your gem file. And people just didn't, like, that's a very hard thing to always remember. It even bugged us as we were developing it, which is why we made the change. The downside to that is that it means that Bundler 1.0 actually re-resolves your gem file every time bundler.setup gets called. And so it uses the lock, if you already have one, as the basis for that resolution, which speeds things up a lot. I mean, you guys are probably aware that bundler.setup is much, much faster than running bundle install itself. But it meant that every time a bundled app starts up, it pays that um, convenience tax, I guess, so that developers can edit their gem file and still have things work. So bundler 1.1 
said, well, that's silly because in the vast majority of cases, you haven't actually edited your gem file. So why don't we just skip invoking the resolver if nothing has changed that's important? So you, you would think that you could do that really obviously by like saving a, a, a hash of the gem file. The problem is Bundler provides lots of features that mean that that doesn't work at all. Um, the naive approach was too simplistic and caused lots of problems. But we managed to come up with a solution that basically just very quickly checks to make sure that everything that's in your gem file is met by the things that are already written in your lock file. And if that's true, it skips the resolve step completely. Um, in my tests, this sped up running bundle and uh, bundle bundler dot setup. This sped up running bundler dot setup in a uh, bigger Rails app with about 120 gems total. Um, it sped it up from uh, a few seconds down to like one and a half seconds. So it was it was a very significant improvement, and that, of course, is faster every single time you start up your app or every single time you run your tests in a new process. That's that's uh, exciting news for me because that's definitely something I've noticed is that um, adding bundler.setup would would add a, a few seconds to my uh, to my light spec helper file. Yep, absolutely. I'm, we're we're I'm trying to looking that forward better. to trying that out. Yeah. All right. I think I was trying to uh, tell James about the uh, best practices for including gems in your gem file. Um, Sorry. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So the the best practice is to use that pessimistic or spermy, as David would have it, uh, operator, so that Bundler knows which range of versions you'll accept, and you can run Bundle install, uh, and Bundler will basically give you the, since the, since the version constraint is pessimistic, it will give you the newest version that it can while still satisfying that pessimistic requirement. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah, and, and uh, I want to throw in my support there. I, I actually got... Um, rubygems.org to add a little uh, copy me uh, thing for showing uh, how to put the declaration in your in your gem file. It's you fantastic know. and amazing and thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, so, so, so I, I just, you know, it used to just say gem install bundler for the command line, but now, or, or gem install whatever, and now, now it's like gem whatever, and it uses the pessimistic operator as the example, so people don't even have to think about it. They just click the button, go in their gem file and go paste, and it's done. That's totally fantastic. Um, so it's not super obvious, but there is even an auxiliary benefit to using the version constraints in this way. Not only does that mean that re your resolver run will be much faster because you've cut down on the combinatorial you know, number of options that Bundler has to check, but it also means that you can run bundle update to automatically apply any patch or minor releases that your pessimistic constraints will allow. Um, this is pretty awesome because it means that if I have, you know, like a pessimistic constraint on, say, RSpec in my bundle and there's a new release, I can just run bundle update RSpec and know that I will get the newest version that I'm pretty sure won't break my app and then I can run my tests. Sweet. That's awesome. Yeah. Can you talk about bundle update in general and like when you sure, want absolutely. to do that? Because I know that, that that can be a little tricky knowing when to type update and 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 sometimes it feels like I type that and I've and I've gone over a cliff and can't get back. Yeah. Um, so fortunately, the way to get back back off of the cliff, I'll start there. If you go over that cliff and you want to go back, uh, just check out your old gemfile.lock. That's it. Uh, 
you have it in version control already. If you run bundle update and things do not go well, you can just go back to your old lock and everything's how it was before. That said, bundle update can be an extremely useful tool if you actually want to change things. Um, so the way bundle update works is when you run bundle update, you can pass it an argument of a gem name or multiple gem names, and Bundler will allow those gems to be updated while trying to keep all of the other gems in the same versions that they already are. I think Yehuda calls this uh, pessimistic version updating or... Uh, uh, conservative. Something. Conservative, yes, thank you. Uh, I, fi so I find I actually want that more often than I want just plain bundle update, right? Exactly. So there's basically three levels of installation of gems with Bundler, um, and they get progressively less conservative. So install is the most conservative, and all it does is it grabs gems that meet your stated requirements, make sure that none of them conflict with each other, and then writes out the lock file so that you are now set with a set of gems that you know you want. In the future, once you have a lock file, bundle install is the most conservative option. It doesn't change anything unless you change your gem file yourself. So everything's locked, running bundle install just gets you the gems that you already know work with your app. The next level that is slightly less conservative is running bundle update gem name. And that only allows that gem and child dependencies of that gem to update. So conservatively, it's uh, allowing you to get all of the new gems that you need to update that particular gem without hopefully breaking any of the other complex web of dependencies in your app. And then lastly and least conservatively is running bundle update with no arguments, which says just give me the absolute newest versions of everything that you possibly can. Um, it's similar in function to just deleting your gemfile.lock and running bundle install again, um, but it's faster and doesn't require as much resolve time because it starts from the basis of a last known working resolve. So what does a bare bundle do? It does the install if there's no uh, log file and then an update if there is, is that right? It actually just runs install, but I feel a little weird about having no command invoke install, and I think that's probably going to change in a future release. Um, but right now, just bundle is alias directly to bundle install. I always, I always type bundle. I, always, I, I never type yeah. bundle install. I, coming from the land of Emacs, where we have an entire uh, suite of methods that end in DWIM, which stands for do what I mean, I love, <laughs> I love just typing bundle, and it does what I mean. You know, it, 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 it will install or it will update. And so uh, to count me in as one vote against discontinuing that. And, and I'm okay. I'm okay if I type bundle and it does something and it does the most aggressive possible thing as, you know, it's... Uh, you know, if I load the gun and point it at my foot and and pull the trigger, the most surprising thing that can happen is that I do not shoot my foot. <laughs> well, I think so. Uh, I for, think. Fortunately, fortunately, Bundler is pre-configured to not shoot your foot. Um, it will it will only update if you actively and explicitly add update to the command that you run. <laughs> your okay. gun is pointed at your foot. You might have a problem. <laughs> So I don't really have a question about this, but I, I felt like the, the conversation wouldn't be complete without talking about what is, I think, my favorite feature of Bundler, 
uh, which is just the fact that I can switch while I'm in development. I can switch between pointing at like if I have a, a project that depends on other other gems that I'm also actively developing or that somebody I'm working with is actively developing, I can quickly switch between pointing at a local copy of that other gem and pointing at the Git repo of that other gem and pointing at the, you know, the, the Ruby gems version of that or, you know, some other gem repo version of that gem. And it's just, it's just switching the, the base, the, uh, the source and the specification. I love that. And, and I think that's, for me, that's, that's like, the, the killer app of Bundler. And again, like I said, I don't ha really have a question about that unless there's something, you know, any, any interesting new, you know, news in that department. Uh, I just want to say it's great. I, 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 have, I have a wrinkle to add to that. Or not a wrinkle, but a, a variation of that. And that's that if you have a .gem file that, you know, that has been built by, you know, you know a, a building a gem somewhere, you can take mm -hmm. that file and copy it into the Bundler cache directory and Bundler will find that there rather than downloading it from any source. Ooh, so you could symlink oh, to your dev yeah, to your dev gem. Yeah, yeah. Basically, if you don't, if you if it's not on RubyGems.org and it's not up on GitHub and 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 you know, it, and it just it just doesn't work with any of those other ways, you can just build the gem directly, put it in your in your repo, check it in, and it's there, and you can deploy it. Cool. That is very cool. That, it's that's pretty great. handy. Um, if you. Uh, it's actually even possible to do that with your entire bundle if you want to. Um, there's a, a bundle pack command that will just download and throw into that vendor cache every single gem that you need to install your entire app. Um, I personally don't do that a lot, but for people who need to be able to ship their app off somewhere else and just have it work, it can be pretty handy. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah it's great. It's great for being cool. able. It's great yeah. for being able to deploy, knowing that your dependencies will always be satisfiable. That you don't have to worry about oh, is GitHub down or RubyGems.org down. Mm -hmm. But but it's also really handy for doing development when when none of those other linking approaches work. Yeah, yeah totally. I was I was going to point out that I I love doing what Avdi suggested there. But the one wrinkle that I run into is that I end up with a gem file dot mine and a gem file dot, you know, shareable with the team and they're in git ignore and I always forget to swap them when I publish, you know, the new ver et cetera. And that that kind of Yeah kind of a headache. But yeah, if you can if you can just simlink the dot gem file, that's brilliant. So uh we are actually working on making that less annoying in, in future versions of Bundler. Um mm -hmm. one one approach that is currently uh, in a patch that some people are testing is basically providing a higher priority local only alternative for a gem. So you can, Ooh. you know, have a gem that's in your gem file, but then tell Bundler, well, if this directory exists, you should use it instead of mm. that gem. Nice. Um, so in testing, it's incredibly awkward to put that directory into your gem file as you were pointing out, you know, mm -hmm. you end up forgetting to swap it back when you release. Yep. Different different people have different directories that that gem checkout might be in. Yeah. Um, so our, our preferred approach that I think we're going to try and implement and get some people to test is to allow you to set those alternate gem locations using the bundle config mm -hmm. command so that it's a, a local setting rather than a, a setting oh, perfect. gem file. So the, the one caveat there is of course that you will probably do that and then probably forget that you're now using the code that's in a directory, <laughs> not the code yep. that's or pushed to GitHub. Um, and then you'll push your app and you'll deploy to production 
you know, because everything works so great and you'll mm -hmm. discover that that code that you're depending on doesn't actually exist anywhere except your laptop. Right. And that's um, why we need continuous integration. Yes. Right. Yeah. So uh, that, yes, that is a, a super strong argument for continuous integration. Um, and we'll, we will probably also try and come up with some sort of solution that uh, basically ask Bundler to do a quick check and say, hey, do you have uncommitted code or code that you haven't pushed? Well, you should probably think about the fact that, uh, <laughs> you know, you're, you're committing or you're, you know. Yeah. You're creating dependencies on local code. By the way, you are actively developing against code that no one else has. Yeah. Um, right. to, so, to be fair, the existing, the existing mechanic also blows up immediately upon publication because nobody else has a home D. Brady on their, you know, it's right, not on the web so server. That's, that's the, the upside to the current, uh, you know, exclusive configuration option where mm -hmm. you have to spend a lot of time commenting and uncommenting lines in your gem file but you can be positive that it's not even you're, you're not going to end up with the wrong code you're going to end up with no code yeah well <laughs> one thing that i've seen because i've been playing with uh, my cassandra orm that i've been working on and um i set it up so you to use a relative path instead of uh -huh. you know home chuck whatever so yeah. it's just uh you know dot dot slash Sandra and dot dot slash Sandra Rails, and yeah. uh, that actually uh, I I checked that in, and then I was working on it on my laptop, and yeah, it did kind of bite me because it's like, oh yeah, I gotta <laughs> I gotta go update <laughs> yeah. those other repos. <laughs> exactly. So we're gonna try and come up with a way that lets you have that same advantage, but yeah. also gives you a little nudge in the direction of uh, making sure that all your code ends up you know deployed together. Yeah. Right. So, I think so, the, the local.gem file could actually work really, really well as long as you were careful with your version. Like like you know, it's like you bump the version number in your right. development gem as soon as you as soon as you fork, not at the end of the fork. And, and of course you, people never do that. Um, right. you there there are a vast number of tests in the bundler suite that exist only because of conflicts between gems with the same version number, but you know, there's a git repo that has a this gem with this version number and there's a published ruby gem that has this gem with the same version number but of course a completely different set of code mm -hmm. um, and we have to make it so that people get the code that they expect to get yep. which can be a very tricky problem right, right. Uh, we speaking speaking of tricky problems uh, <laughs> the one of the things that is uh, often hard to manage when you're when you're dealing with gems is gems that are tricky to build and it's particularly ones that are like native C extensions, or uh, you know, some mm. of the some of the database uh, gems need particular environment settings so that they can find their dependencies in the you know whatever their you know make file world is. And so, can you talk a little bit about what's the best practices for for dealing with those sort of things? Sure, absolutely. Um, our to be honest, our preferred solution to that is to uh, find a different gem that's easier to compile. Um, <laughs> okay, the, uh, I'm a, I'm a, I was, my first uh, response was to say something that would lose us our family-friendly rating. <laughs> so, uh, someone, Bundler's someone, response or, is, why do you keep hitting yourself? <laughs> possibly, well, like, so that is actually a realistic option for, say, the MySQL gem. The MySQL 2 gem is so much better at compiling itself that you can basically stop worrying about that problem. You know, where the, the, the MySQL 1 gem required basically that everyone who ever installed it manually tell it where the MySQL 
headers were so that it could compile. But for all the people who don't have a replacement gem that is smarter about where to look for headers, it's actually really easy. Uh, there is a way to tell Bundler where your headers are on your machine that Bundler will just then automatically apply every single time that it installs that gem moving forward. It's it's just the, the bundle config command has a specific syntax that you can use to set build options. It's uh, You run bundle config build dot the name of the gem, and then you pass it in the flags that you would normally pass to gem install after the first set of double dashes. So, for example, if you were still using the original MySQL gem instead of MySQL 2, you could just say bundle config build dot mysql dash dash with dash mysql dash config equals you know your path to your mysql config and once you've run that command bundler can then everywhere on your system in any bundle handle building the mysql gem for you nice it, it, and that ports across different systems. Well, it only applies to the configuration. Yeah. Okay. Right. It's a lo- it's a local thing, so it doesn't get checked into the gem file or gem file Correct. Outlook. Correct. Exactly. Because it, of course, the MySQL config or whatever headers you need could be in a different place on every single developer's machine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Most of us develop on a free BSD based machine, but deploy to a Linux based machine. Right. Exactly. It, is, uh, is there some sort of workflow pattern that you've that you've worked out that that makes managing all that stuff across different OSs easier to deal with? Um, I, to be perfectly honest, I don't actually have to set any build options for the gems that I use in my apps. Um, MySQL and the the Postgres gem both actually just build because the headers are in places that they know to look for by default. Right. Yeah. They, they've gotten much better now. So. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm actually happy to report that Bundler appears to have had a positive impact on a lot of those gems because people suddenly having lots of problems getting them installed meant that the uh, gem authors were inundated with requests to make it work better. Mm. I I did run into a situation recently where I where I, I wasn't I wasn't up on the bundle config thing, so I ended up uh, doing a, like env. Set up and set up the environment variable that the that the you know GCC build build needed bundle install. Uh huh. That's so that it, is one way that you can make it happen. The other the other thing is is that it will find the gem locally if it's there. So one other thing that I've done is I've just done a gem install with the options and then bundled after that, and that works fine too. That does that doesn't work as well if you have. Uh, gem sets limited for every app since you then need to run that little rigmarole every time. Right. That's um, true. But if you have one set of system gems, that is a totally um, usable way to do it. Don't take I- away my gem sets. They're part of my sanity. <laughs> <laughs> so, obviously, as one of the maintainers of Bundler, I I uh, recommend using Bundle Config. Um, it's actually pretty straightforward. The, the description of how to use it is right there at the top if you run bundle help config and hopefully that that makes installing those things easier. Yeah. So I have a question that I'm a little curious about. The bundler was written by Carl and Yehuda and then how, how did you wind up taking over the development sure. on it? Sure. Um, like I like I said a little while ago, uh, the our initial development was sort of uh, driven by the necessity of Merb having so many gems and such a complicated dependency graph that human dependency resolution was no longer really practical. Um, and so Carl and Yehuda 
basically wrote Bundler way back in the day for Merb and then updated it uh, so that it could, you know, work with the Rails 3 slash Merb merge that broke Rails into a lot, you know, more gems and made things uh, sort of both easier and harder at the same time, I guess. So I started, um, this was a, a while before Rails 3 came out, but when it was, uh, you know, in, in pretty heavy uh, beta testing, I was working at Engine Yard and uh, I just wanted to try out Rails 3 and build a new app. So I sat down and said, I'm going to try Rails 3 and I'm going to try this cool bundler thing and it'll be awesome. And I made it about 15 minutes in before I had caused exceptions in Bundler like two or three different times. Um, so I patched the exceptions and later on I saw Yehuda and I said, hey Yehuda, you should apply these patches that I made to make Bundler actually work for me. And he said, no, I'm, I'm too busy working on Rails 3 right now. Uh, I just gave you commit to the Bundler repo. You should fix it. <laughs> nice. So I fixed it. And, you know, a few patches later, I noticed a ticket where someone else had the same problem. So I replied to the ticket and said, oh, hey, I just fixed this. And then Yehuda said, hey, I saw that you were, you know, handling tickets on the Bundler repo. That's awesome. Thanks. <laughs> and, uh, and it kind of snowballed from there. Um, best PDI ever. Exactly. PDI. So, uh, Please do yeah. investigate. Yeah. Mm. So. Or please do it. <laughs> that is that is a, a pretty good interpretation of that, I think. Um, this is a so, parable about the evils of contributing to open source. It, it's the evils. You might get get ensnared and never be able to escape, and the rest of your life will be spent in the open source mines, um, just, just churning out one bug fix after another, replying to tickets from people who don't understand how to read error messages. Yeah. It, but we're not bitter. Brutal. No, not at all. It's not fantastic. <laughs> I, I all do right. it. I, since there's no money in it, I have to say I, I just do it for the uh, the the fame and the girls. <laughs> nice. You get girls. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so Andre, I know Chuck wants to get us to the pigs, but I got one last question for you. When do we get our hands on this shiny one dot one thing? Well, uh, assuming that I can coordinate with uh, Terrence, which I'm guessing will happen whenever he wakes up, um, since he was up until 3 a.m committing bug fixes um i'm really really have my fingers crossed that it'll be today of Yay. course don't don't let that stop you we already have a slightly buggier version of 1.1 up on rubygems.org you can run gem install dash dash pre to get that version um and the final with slightly less bugs will be out just as soon as we can get it that's so, awesome so so the geek in me is going today today and then it's going that's 3 a.m in what time zone uh-huh. So Yeah, what what time zone is the internet in? <laughs> Mine. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Mine? 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 Uh, I I have I have uh one quick thing about because uh which is relevant to the new release coming out. I have seen a lot of people uh do this and I I tend to do it myself a lot of the time is I actually put in my gem file um gem bundler and then a version number. Uh-huh. To to say, oh, this gem file is only going to work if you have at least this version of Bundler, um, and uh, that's that is a completely like useful thing to do to at least let the the human looking at it know what version of Bundler that they'll need. Um, one point one does include a couple of uh, features that are new, like uh, you can say instead of gem foo colon git some path 
to GitHub that is very repetitive. You can now just say gem rails colon GitHub rails slash rails. Um, so that's nice. like a, a hallelujah. Uh, I'm a yeah. fan. <laughs> yeah, so, so it's pretty cool. Since we're talking about mild annoyances, a couple of times, and maybe maybe this is fixed in a modern version because it's been a while since I've seen this, but a couple of times when I'm throwing Bundler in a non-Rails project, so I end up making the gem file, I forget to throw in source colon Ruby gems. And so Bundler there's actually like a that. solution for that. It's, okay, it's, the, it's the bundle init command. Bundle init. Okay, yes. gotcha. There's so that makes that set you gem up with a new gem file. Yep. Gotcha. That it would be kind of nice if source Ruby gems was assumed if there are no sources. You know, seems kind of logical. The problem is if you don't put any source lines in, there are still some sources. Uh, those sources are in order that they are checked. The system gems already installed on your machine, and the vendor cache directory. I see. Um, there are surprisingly enough a at least very vocal people. I don't know. You know what percentage of users they are, but um, there are definitely people who want to be able to not use Ruby gems, gotcha. and so that's why we have the bundle init command. Yeah, but I still feel like if if they're the exception rather than the rule, that there should be like an unsource line so you can yeah, unsource should, it, or that they should have to pass a flag, right, or something. Yeah, right. sure. I'd I'd be open to investigating something along those lines. Um, back in the day, it didn't seem like as strong of a concern since we were worried about people actually getting the gems that they asked for. Andre, Andre, this is your opportunity to PDI James. There we go. Yes, James. <laughs> it would be wonderful if you would investigate. You know, yeah. Andre, I heard your earlier story about what happened to you. I'm, I'm scared to touch that code base, man. <laughs> Cautionary tales. Yeah, you might get bundled into the bundler team. Oh, my. Oh, no. Okay, uh, Andre, can we just finish up about the putting the um, gem bundle whatever in the gem file? And is there a downside to that or anything you got to watch out for? Um, well, I mean, the downside is that you'll have to manually allow bundler 1.1, right? But... um it's a perfectly reasonable way to make sure that uh, you know people know which version of Bundler they need to install your project. Okay, but 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 there's no conflict with uh, you know Bundler falling down an infinite tower of turtles or anything like that. No, not at all. There's a special case code to make sure that Bundler simply checks to make sure that it itself meets that requirement. And if it doesn't, does it look to see if there's an older version installed on the machine, or does it just kind of give up? Uh, it tells you that the version that you have run cannot successfully install the gem file and leaves it up to you to find the right version and run that one instead. Right. So then you have to go dig into your gem sources and look in the bin folder for that. Well, no, you run bundle oh, underscore version underscore the correct version. Do you not know about Ruby Gems has this cool. Wait, uh, what? It's kind of cool. Yeah, that's what I'm, I'm going. <laughs> Ruby Gems has this, yeah. has this yeah. very interesting feature. Yeah, where it's not some if, feature nobody knows. If you put a version number in underscores after the name of the command, it will use that version of the gem. So you could do ver, uh, bundle underscore one underscore zero. You would you would put it's a one. It's underscore one dot zero underscore. Right, and then oh. you would get the one point release. So right now you would want to say something like bundle underscore one point oh point twenty two underscore install. Okay. Can we put an example of that in the show notes? Because I'm lost. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I heard, just heard David's head break. Yeah. 
it yeah. actually works for any Ruby gems. It's a Ruby gems feature. And so if you have, yeah. I used to run into it all the time uh, with Capistrano. I used to have like, um, you know, certain old crufty apps that would only deploy with certain versions of Capistrano. So then I would do cap and then underscore on whichever weird version that particular app needed and then the command. It and seems like that would make a lot of sense as an environment variable that you could set on, you know, before the command. It seems like putting it as the first argument with underscores is just a really weird way to do it. But <laughs> that's what we have right now. So okay, I'm well, come on. There, there's, do- there's absolutely nothing weird about Ruby gems. <laughs> so, so with this feature, I have to ask one more question, and that is, if you don't know the full version, like 1.0.22, if you just know that you want the latest 1.0 version, can you do that? Can you do 1.0 underscore? Or I you... think it'll tell you that 1.0 isn't installed, but yeah, I haven't has tried to be, it myself. It has to be an exact version, and you can get all the versions installed just using a gem list, right? You can get right. that. The versions that you have installed. You mean there's no Underwaka? Underwaka. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what that would look like. Tilda underscore tilde. Yeah, we've made, than? we've made the new operator for Ruby Gems. <laughs> All right, now we really do need to get to the picks. We're, okay. I, I think we're hitting an hour right now. Okay. Which is kind of funny because I don't think we've actually been under an hour for the last like five or six episodes. <laughs> Have we been getting complaints? No. Okay. In fact, uh, when we were keeping it to an hour, I would get complaints sometimes saying, you cut off the conversation. But anyway, nice. um, so picks. Let's start with Josh this week. Okay. I, ha- I have a, um, a quick pick and, uh, and, it's, and it's part of Bundler. Uh, uh, so if you type, if you go in your in your project and you type bundle viz and you have graph viz installed, you get a pretty picture of your dependency tree. And it's viz, right? Yeah, viz. And the great thing about that is you don't have to look at. If you look at the at the gem file dot lock, you get this indented you know tree structure. Scary. It's not actually it's not actually a tree. It's a it's a directed acyclic graph. <laughs> where you hope you hope it's acyclic. <laughs> But that, anyway, it's really a graph, but it's laid out in an outline, so it's much nicer to look at it uh, graphically as as the tree. So there cool. you go. It was a tough week for me, so that's all I got. All right, Avdi, what are your picks? So I am deep in ebook generation mode this week, so my picks are both related to that. Uh, a couple of tools that I find handy. Uh, number one, uh, I just started using this. I'd known about it for a while. I just started using it. Uh, is Pandoc. Pandoc is a utility written in Haskell that converts between various um, document formats. And it supports just about anything you can throw at it. I'm not going to list them all off, but just as an example, uh, I had I had a desire to incorporate some markdown sections uh, in the uh, the Objects on Rails book, um, but uh, I I write most of my stuff in Emacs org mode, and so I added like three or four lines to my make file that just said if you have a, a markdown file in the in the list of sections, uh, run it through Pandoc, and Pandoc takes that and, and generates a nice org mode file out of the markdown file. And uh, it's pretty much just does what you want it to do. You feed it a format it figures out, and, and an output format, and it figures out how to make it happen. The other one is Caliber, which is like this whole uh, Swiss Army knife tool set for uh, reading and converting and managing ebooks. 
Um, and it's got like a, a whole section of it is just devoted to just like m managing your ebook collection and, and, and reading them and stuff like that. But it also comes with, with some great command line tools for converting from one format to another. And, and I use that a lot and, and it's, uh, very, very helpful in my, my tool chain. So caliber. All right. Uh, David, what are your picks? Uh, I just have one today, and that's uh, The Developer's Code by Ka Wai Chung, I think, is how that's pronounced. You can get it from uh, it, the, the Pragmatic Programmers. Um, this book feels kind of like, uh, like a, new, a, a new version of The Pragmatic Programmer. It's, it's 150 pages of just one tip after another tip after another tip of how to be a programmer, how to be a developer. And it's, it starts with real simple technical things like you know, how to keep a to-do list and how to, do, you know, how to set your pace and how to you know, hack your own wetware. But then there's like a whole chapter on complexity, like how to smell it, how to reduce it. Towards the end, it starts getting into career advice, like, you know, how to deal with, you know, tough customers and understanding the difference between features that are nice to have but would be horrible to write. Uh, I'm, I'm just really enjoying it. I picked it up uh, last Thanksgiving. I they, they do that the Turkey Day sale, and I basically just swept my entire wish list into a shopping cart and bought it. And uh, uh, the Dead Tree version just came this week, and I'm really enjoying it. It's uh, The Developer's Code by Kyle Chung. All right. Uh, James, what are your picks? So my picks recently have been like all serious, useful stuff, and that's really starting to bother me. So I've got that reputation to maintain, you know. Uh, so uh, in the spirit of non-useful, uh, everybody knows I'm a huge fan of Song and Ice and Fire, George R. R. Martin series. Uh, yesterday, aside from being Super Tuesday, which who cares, the important thing happened was uh, Game of Thrones HBO's series based on that book uh, was released on DVD and Blu-ray. Um, so you can now get that series and start watching it. Obviously, I haven't watched it all yet since it just came out yesterday, but it's extremely highly rated. Uh, George R. R. Martin uh, is a uh, one of the executive producers for the series, and he directs, I think, one of the episodes and and stuff. And it's it's supposed to be very loyal, so uh, I'm looking forward to that. And uh, also discovered some cool music I'm liking. Uh, Glenn Kochi, I think, is his name. He's like the drummer for Wilco. Uh, but he has his own album, which is kind of this really cool uh, percussion piece uh, and just all kinds of great uh, percussion stuff. Uh, really good if you listen to it with headphones. It's got a lot of subtlety to it and um, uh, makes for cool coding music. So those are what I'm doing for fun right now. All right, cool. I guess I'll go next. So anyway, my, my wife got a Fitbit for Christmas. And uh, she's really been enjoying it. And every time she'd use it, I'd get a little jealous because I thought it was really cool. And we've been doing this weight loss thing. Um, and I've already lost almost 10 pounds. So anyway, so I kept wanting one and I wound up getting her something really nice for her birthday. And I guess she decided that that entitled her to get her get a get me something nice for our anniversary, which was last weekend. And so um, she got me a Fitbit and I've been playing with it and, and using it. And it is really kind of a cool device um, it basically will track um, how active you are uh, how many steps you've taken for example this morning I got up walked into the bathroom um, you know did what I needed to do in there and then I checked it and I had taken like 280 steps from my bed to the bathroom so how many how many calories did you burn in the bathroom <laughs> uh. That's I private wanted, information. I just, no. I just wanted to know, does he go to the bathroom in his neighbor's house or what? I, mean, I, yeah. <laughs> I was wondering the same thing when I looked at it. 
Did you get lost on the way? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where did these groceries come from? I are thought I had a I thought I had a long hallway, man. Right. Are you skipping the blackout period that happened in there? <laughs> yeah. Went downstairs, got a snack. No. Um, but anyway, it's really cool. It tracks all that stuff. You can also use it to track your food intake, not the device, but the website. And so it's it's pretty nice and it just syncs up through your computer. So Yeah. Hey hey, Chuck, the um my pick last week about uh we things with with like the Wi-Fi scale. Yeah, I want one um, of those. Th- so so if you get the scale, mm-hmm. it the software can uh, talk to the Fitbit data, and you can track your weight against your uh, activity. Oh, interesting. So so that, yeah, they have integration there. Yeah, I tried to order one, but they were out of stock everywhere I looked. So anyway, um, but yeah, so that's my pick. And Andre. Yeah. Well, this was not one of my picks, but I have a Fitbit too, and I think it's totally awesome. My uh, my picks are, are a little bit uh, across the board. My my first pick is also part of Bundler, although we didn't actually mention it today. And it's the bundled gem command. Um, basically, what that does is it sets you up a skeleton Ruby gem with a gem spec and a lib directory and a gem spec that is almost entirely filled out. Um, but I have found that just ridiculously useful when I want to take some code that I have that is a library and turn it into a gem. I can basically just run bundle gem, uh, you know, copy the the Ruby file over and then fill in a few fields. And I have a completely working gem that I can then add to the gem file and whatever it was that I just extracted that gem out of. Cool. It's very handy. My sort of uh, technically related, but but for fun pick is the uh, the hypercritical podcast. Um, maybe I'll get in trouble for a. Uh, mentioning another podcast on ruby rogues but no no uh, we do th- we along, do that all the time yeah yep. along with along with you guys um hypercritical is a, a five by five podcast with uh, john syracuse who uh is somewhat infamous for writing ridiculously technically detailed reviews of each version of os 10 as it's come out which are um, amazingly great to read they are amazingly great and i love hypercritical because it's like getting those amazingly great reviews but for lots of other technical things like uh there's an episode about televisions and dvrs that's pretty amazing um there's a a more recent episode about file systems and uh i just i really love having someone else who is interested in all of those like technical nitpicky details who will talk about them um yeah um and then my my last pick is uh my my coding music. I figured I should throw that in. Lately, what I've been doing is I've been listening to uh, JWZ's mixtapes, which JWZ, you know, used to work for Netscape and uh, retired to start his own nightclub. But um, one of the cool things that he does at that intersection of nightclub and technology is uh, create mixtapes of obscure but interesting music, and he releases them every you know couple of weeks. Um, but uh, that's mostly what I've been listening to when I program is because it's a sort of continuous stream of interesting and new music that I've almost entirely never heard of before. Cool. Some people, when faced with a problem, say, I know, I'll find some good music. Now they have a problem and a mixtape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, one thing I noticed when uh, while you were talking, it just occurred to me, I, I saw your last name, Arco, and I realized that it's it's one letter off from a character from He-Man called Orko. <laughs> I don't know why my brain made that connection, but anyway. So. Ch- Chuck, as someone with a potentially funny name, you shouldn't uh, poke at others. I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, 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 
No, just you got to be you, Chuck. It, it, you either don't throw stones or throw them at everybody. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, real quick, just to wrap things up, uh, we are in iTunes. If you've been listening, uh, go ahead and go into iTunes and uh, subscribe. And if you're there and you want to leave us a review or a rating, that would be terrific. It really helps us out, get the, get the word out and stuff. Um, also, if you're listening on some other device, you can always just go to rubyrogues.com and click on the subscribe link, and uh, that should pull it into whatever podcatcher you're using, like on the Android phone or whatever. Um, just want to thank and- Andre for coming on to the, the podcast again. And, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's been great. Thanks, Andre. Um, yeah. We are reading Crafting Rails applications, and I have to say that I've spent about 45 minutes reading it, and I'm already a quarter of the way through it. So it's a pretty quick read, but uh, mm-hmm. really interesting stuff if you wanted to know how the internals of Rails works. So go pick that up. We'll be talking to uh, Jose here in uh, like three weeks. Do we have a discount code for the readers for that one? No. Uh, I haven't. Not, at the, not at this okay. time. Okay. Yeah. It's worth it. Buy it full price. That's the discount code. Go it, get it. And Chuck, and Chuck what's the, the date on that is March 28th. We're doing the episode. Right. So, so that is in three weeks. So. Yeah. Cool. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and, and 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 I just want to you know let the readers know if you haven't read the book, you're not allowed to listen to the episode yet. Oh, so are we going to do spoilers? <laughs> yeah, yeah we'll, we'll give away the ending. It's just the bundler did it. <laughs> oh, oh. Ouch. that was pretty good. That was pretty good, and it was on topic. <laughs> yeah, the the girl she marries the vampire. That's right. Oh, but he sparkles, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they just spilled oh. glitter. <laughs> anyway, um, so, yeah. <laughs> On that note. <laughs> anyway, we'll catch you next week. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye, Bye. Bye guys.